0: The GRBJ Podcast is brought to you by Spectrum Health Integrated Care Campus at 426 Michigan Street. Taking care of your family is now easier than ever with multiple services all in one convenient location. And Seven Monks Grand Rapids, worldwide craft beer, locally crafted cuisine, located at the new 616 Lofts Building at 740 Michigan Street. This is the GRBJ Podcast. I'm Pat Evans, and with me today is Tim Gortzman. Hey, Tim. Hello, Pat. How you doing? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I'm good. It's almost September. It is almost September. Fall. Colors changing. Football. football. Yeah, Lions. Uh, well, oh, college football. We yeah. Could, oh, Michigan State. Uh, yeah. Um, That's okay. High school football. I don't watch that anymore. Okay. I'm out of high school. Oh, okay. That's good. <laughs> anyway, it's also time where you can start drinking warm beverages. Absolutely. Because it gets colder and everything. Yeah, yeah, I follow. So anyway, yep. this week we have uh Mark Van Tongren and Sam Murto, uh, director of marketing and director of coffee, respectively, for Ferris, Coffee and Nut. One, okay. you know, a very old company here in Grand Rapids that makes coffee. A very old company, but doing very new things. Exactly. So let's go. Hear, hear all about it. All right. Mark Sam, thanks for joining us.
1: Yeah, Pat, thanks for having us. Of course.
0: So I want to first start because you guys are probably one of the oldest companies in Grand Rapids. I don't know that for sure, but you guys say you started in 1924, right? And it stretches back into the 1800s, I know personally. <laughs> <laughs> um, but let's talk about kind of the transition you guys went through um, and how this how you kind of struggle with that legacy within that transformation?
1: Yeah. Good question. Um, yeah, like you mentioned, we're, we're an old company. I think we're 93, 94 years old right now. Um, with actually roots dating back before the 1900s. Um, yeah. And, and but right now we're at a really interesting point, I think in, in this, in this story because our team is very young. Um, so we're seeing, uh, almost a revitalization or resurgence in uh, the passion for the industry that we're privileged to be a part of. And we're having a lot of fun.
2: Yeah. I, I think back to when I was first hired, um, which was about four and a half years ago. Um, And looking back on the company then compared to now, it's, it's very, very different in, in the way that we go about doing pretty much everything. Um, Yeah, our, I guess, what people know us as in this area is, or what they have known us as, is very different these days. Um, So we've, like you said, we've been around for a long time. Um, We got our, I guess, roots and a lot of, you know, growth through the 90s and early 2000s um, when... There were some bigger, well-known roasters that were up and coming out of Seattle and uh, everybody was, uh, (laughs) no, not to be named, but everybody was trying to emulate what they were doing. and so that was, I think, very much where Ferris was at at the time. I wasn't part of the company then, but um, just, you know, when I came on, a lot of those products and philosophies were still in existence here, um, which makes a lot of sense. We had a lot of growth in there, and that's what, you know, uh, the coffee drinking consumer as a whole was looking for, those types of products. Um, within, whatever, the last five years, um, the I think, the city of grand rapids west michigan has changed and then just culturally there's a you know there's a different generation that's kind of coming into its own and um i think that was a catalyst for um our change um so the john the owner of the company i think was very forward thinking and thinking in Kind of picking up on this transformation that was happening within the coffee industry, but you know, beverage and food industry as a whole. This kind of shift where consumers um, different things were important to them. You know, things like flavor and traceability and stories and uh, and all these things that that are really important to us now. And so John recognized this, said, "Hey, you know, we've been doing." this for a long time it's been great um the era that we were doing this in it made perfect sense things are changing now and so you can kind of feel the the tides changing um and so we we need some you know people who think a little bit differently some people from this generation where these things are important to come in and i think um you know mark was like the the pioneer of this movement here uh quite a few years I, ago i would not to go that far <laughs> <laughs>
1: i'll
2: say it um and And so with, you know, that, that was realized and then, you know, through our hiring process of bringing some new people on board, um, where these types of things were important to us, um, the, the company is, has changed quite a bit because of that.
1: No, you know, I think to, to add to what Sam was saying a little bit too, it's, um, yeah, I mean, we're an old, an old company with, with deep roots, um, And I think if, you know, if you're not changing, you're dying. So there was, you know, obviously this um, exponential shift in relevancy and trends and a lot of the things that we're seeing today. And, you know, whether that's through sharing of information, through science, through the type of data that we have available, um, you know, we just we started to see a, a, a pretty big shift. And that was right around the time where. We started, or where I started, you know, um, getting involved in in the company, and uh, soon after graduating college and everything. Um, and you know, like I said, if you're not changing, you're dying. And everything's in a constant cha- uh, state of change. So I think embracing that and rolling with it, and and understanding that change and how best to use it. To your business's advantage is a big thing. I think Jeff Bezos from Amazon said that the the average lifespan of an American company is 30 years. So we're in our 90 93rd year, and you know I think a lot of that has to do. Some of that might be luck. Some of that might be um, just making the right decisions at the right times. Um, you know, but this chapter that we're in. Uh, this almost revitalization of a company, uh, you you know, it's a a lot of it is because, yeah, we definitely chalk it up to the people that we hire. Um, A lot of it was my brother, David, and some of his sort of visionary, um, you know, uh, not really obviously coming out of college and not really having the business experience. And I think that goes a long way. Um, it's not being tied to what you're kind of groomed to know. Um, so kind of thinking differently, coming into the business, thinking differently. Um, and then obviously the, the coffee program here really took off when, um, when Sam came on board and, you know, Sam mentioned pioneering and, and that's essentially what we all were and what we all are, uh, and what Sam was, uh, for our coffee program. And, um, You know, it's continuously changing. It's changing to this day with the coffee that you're drinking right now.
0: (laughs) So some, I mean, you have some coffees that are as good or better than other coffee roasters in town. Um, But and part of my original question, too, I wanted to touch on is how do you guys deal? I guess this is more to you, Mark, as marketing. (laughs) I just got that. (laughs) 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 Uh, Never gets old. I'm sure it doesn't. Uh, but you know, I, I assume a lot of customers still look at Ferris as what you were in the nineties. Um, and, and I guess now it's back to Sam is how do you help transition those types of coffee drinkers and how do you fight that stigma? I know you still make a lot of the same coffees to make sure you don't leave those customers
1: behind cause you can't do that. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we obviously recognize where we've come from. And we are the first ones to admit that we don't know everything about what we're doing. And, you know, we're students of the game. We're constantly learning. Every single day we come in with the mindset of continuous improvement and continuous learning. And uh, just knowing where we've come from and looking at where we are in terms of our preferences for different coffees and different um, different tastes, different, different uh, roast profiles, those types of things. Um, and, but no, also knowing that we're doing this every single day and there are a lot of consumers out, out there who it's part of their morning ritual and it doesn't really go beyond that. Um, and we don't want to alienate, uh, coffee drinkers, you know, based on our own personal preferences. So we try to offer a coffee roster that's very inclusive, um, still strict with uh, scoring standards and uh, things that we, uh, basically the bar that we set for ourselves. Um, But we love that we're still able to um, offer a product to people who might not have the same Coffee sophistication as one of our other customers or or one of our own employees. So um, I think just knowing where we've come from and knowing just kind of keeping that in mind that the coffee isn't greater than the people consuming it um, is is part of our philosophy about the coffee we offer. We're we're still faced with a lot of the you know a lot of what people knew us to be. Uh, 10 years ago and i love it i I love being able to um get somebody to come into our shop or come into uh, our education center and just see their eyes open and be like wait you guys you guys can't do this you guys you guys (laughs) used to sell to gas stations you know you can't have this type of coffee and it's like hey we okay you know
2: yeah Uh, i'll all right, I'll tie a bunch of stuff onto that. Um, and maybe <laughs> maybe a lot of it comes down to the coffee industry as a whole and then some more specifics on uh, demographics and then maybe a little bit of the science behind um, choosing coffees to both appeal to you know the younger generations and then the generations that we've worked with for a long time. Um, so through history, um, in the States at least, coffee has been... Um, heavily commoditized it was you know in mres back in you know war days and it's just you know been a hot caffeinated beverage for for a long time um you know that changed in the in the 90s a little bit when all of a sudden it was okay to go into a cafe and spend you know like four bucks or something like that on a latte um and so that's what characterized coffee you know after the commodity period that commodity period think about the generation that was alive then it's an older generation um you know baby boomers and even older um and so to them that's it that uh is hard to break out of um so that that generation it's it's very price sensitive and coffee is you know a a black caffeinated beverage that's bitter and you know maybe strong and bold or whatever you want to call it you know there's a lot of buzzwords that you can use through the through the 90s and 2000s um milk drinks were big cappuccinos lattes um darker roasted coffees um and uh you know lots of cream and sugar and, the, and that type of stuff because you know there was some sophistication that was brought to it but it was still you know you were kind of that that uh wave where you had to be a little price conscious so you can you can buy cheaper coffees roast them dark and um put a lot of cream and sugar in them, and they still taste pretty good, right? That gets into the science of a little bit, which I'll touch on in a a second. Now we have uh, consumers that, like we talked about, they're concerned with uh, traceability, with nuances from region to region, or processing method to processing method, or you know whatever it is. And we're seeing um, that much like whatever the craft beer industry or the food industry, spirits, um, you know, people are interested in, in nuances and picking up on the unique flavors that that um, that coffee offers. And so that's the younger generation. That's where they're at now. So for us coming through the '90s and 2000s, yes, a lot of our um, products have reflected that that consumer group that was, um, you know, kind of riding that wave of yeah, we want to pay a little bit more for our coffee, but it still definitely uh, mirrors what coffee was back in the day. Um, And so how, how did we as a roaster say, okay, this is, this is the customer group that we have right now. This is what we're used to doing. We are passionate about different things now, just as a company. And so, um, we want to produce products that we're passionate about and that we love. And so, um, let's, let's do that. But also look at the opportunity that we have with all the customers that we work with. Um, so we have, many 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 customers throughout West Michigan um, nationwide to a certain extent but you know with the coffee program we focus regionally right now Um, and so we we distribute all throughout Michigan on a daily basis Um, and so we really have an opportunity to work with some customers who came up through that era of coffee that we did but we have an opportunity to introduce them to what coffee has become and what it can be. So um, I think that's something that we wanted to be super conscious of with making this transition to a true specialty coffee roaster. Um, how, How we go about things now is, All based on that specialty coffee definition. You hear that word thrown out a lot, and it means a lot of to some people, it means, yeah, a 26-ounce drink with milk and sugar, and which is fine. If you like that, that's cool. Mm. I don't wanna, you know, we never want like Mark said, you know, we never want to say, how could you do that? We wanna be approachable. Um, we understand that people enjoy things to the same extent that we enjoy like this coffee that we're drinking now. Um so but how we go about sourcing coffee is based on that true definition of specialty um so coffee has to the first thing is coffee has to score a certain score on the scale that we use so we use a hundred point scale it's it's the scale that most specialty coffee users or roasters use um it's based on the specialty coffee association's scoring system they're this um Kind of bigger organization that we're a part of, many other roasters in the area. They, you know, do trade shows and they do best practices for the industry and that sort of thing. So they've come up with this scoring system, very much, you know, kind of tied to the wine industry and the beer industry on a hundred point scale. And you go through and you evaluate coffee. There's, you know, there's flavor, aftertaste, acidity, body, um, sweetness, balance, all, all these different um, categories. Um, And so there's a pretty rigorous scoring or testing process that you have to go through in order to officially score coffee. Um, The idea is that this is a vernacular. So when I say coffee scores an 85, you also understand what that means. Um, And so that's tough, right? To be on the same page. I'm here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Somebody is in wherever, Costa Rica. They drink the same coffee, say, yep, that coffee's an 85. Very, very difficult. So,
1: what kind of training does one need <laughs> oh, <geez>. to, <laughs> well, Mark, do that?
2: It's just uh, you know five five multiple choice questions, and then you're done. <laughs> No, it's um, it's it's pretty intense. It's a six day um, exam that you have to take. And, and you're
1: talking about the Q grader exam. Correct? Yeah,
2: yeah. So it's called the Q um, and it's a six day exam. There's 21 different tests ranging from uh, some, yeah, some written parts, but mostly sensory analysis. A lot of it is uh, calibrating with other cuppers, but then a lot of it is evaluating different types of uh, organic acids and um, different modalities. So sweet, salt, bitter, and these types of things. Um, so I, I've done the exam, I've, I've passed the exam and uh, I, I never wanna take it again because it was <laughs> the most difficult thing I've ever done for the most part. Um, so yeah, so we use this scoring system uh, that's you know rooted in a lot of training. It's designed to be a vernacular. All the coffee that we source has to score above an 80. So without a frame of reference, it's tough to uh to say, okay, an eighty, that sounds pretty good, right? That's close to a hundred. It's a hundred point scale. Um, that's gotta be good. Um, yes, that's some of the best coffee in the world. That's some of the top, top, you know, top five percent of what is harvested every year scores above an eighty. Most <laughs> okay. I'll go back a little bit. <laughs> this gets uh so, so we talked about that, that, um, that coffee drinking group, you know, f- back in the day through the nineties, two thousands, um, the coffee that we source that scores between say 80 and 84, these coffees, um, ideally appeal to them. They are more approachable from a price standpoint while being, you know, some of the, the best coffee that you'll ever drink. Um, they're more approachable in that it's something that you could like brew a full pot of or do a full Chemex of and drink all of it. You know, it's not this coffee that we're drinking right now. Um, so the the acidity tends to be a little bit uh, muted. Um, the, the nostalgic flavors of coffee are there, like the chocolate, nuts, you know, caramel, vanilla, that kind of stuff. Um, so the sweet sugar browning notes, we call them a little bit less acidity. So for us, we're like, okay, there's this great range of coffee in the 80 to 84 range that Most specialty coffee roasters, um, they they kind of stay away. Most smaller roasters, I would say they kind of stay away from the 80 to 84 range because they want to focus on the best of the best of the best, even within that category, Um, which as specialty enthusiasts, we love that. But we we understand that most of the coffee drinkers out there, that's not their jam, you know. So these coffees are our attempt to kind of cater to that demographic. Um, But we also love those coffees too. And the producers that we work with, they're like, Hey, we want you to buy 10 bags of this, you know, 89 scoring coffee. That's awesome. Thank you so much. We also have a full container of coffee that we'd love you to buy. That scores in an 83 fantastic coffee would be great in a blend or something like that. We want to be able to work with our producers in that capacity as well. Um, It's a more sustainable purchasing practice. Um, You know, we can continue to grow with them year after year. So, um, I think that's something that makes us a little bit different than, than a lot of the, the familiar specialty coffee roasters. Not that there's anything bad with the way that they go about purchasing coffee. It's all what you want to do. We've just decided to, you know, we want to sell coffee to a broader range of consumers out there. So we reach across the aisle a little bit, do some darker roasts within that category. Um, darker roasts don't have to be awful and bitter and burned. Um, they can be sweet and have some dark chocolate characters and really full and heavy bodied. Um, Then the higher scoring coffee, you know, the 84 and up, that's that's, you know, some of the really unique rare stuff like we're drinking right now that um, we're incredibly passionate about. It takes a lot of time and effort to to really get correct. Um, That's kind of where we see the coffee industry going. You have all that traceability, um, you know, differences that you can really taste within, you know, varietals and micro regions and processing methods. Um, these types of coffees are kind of, you know, um, what we feature in our cafes and where you would see at other specialty cafes, um, the younger generations, millennials, um, these coffees have a lot of citric acidity, a lot of phosphoric acidity, um, things that are in sodas. So (laughs) that gets into the science part of it. So that's a, you know, we, we look at those demographics and say, Hey, these, this group tends to prefer acidity in their coffee. And so, we need something with some acidity. Also, we love coffee with acidity. It's like salt to food. It kind of gets a bad rap. It's like, "Ooh, this is a little bit a little bit too acidic." It's like a lot of people don't like it, but uh we think it makes coffee so so interesting. So, um yeah, that's a really long answer for your question, <laughs> but but that's that's kind of how we try to <laughs> cater to a demographic that we worked with for a long time, but also uh, roast source and roast coffee that we're that we're, um, passionate about, and that is you know some of the best coffee in the world. So,
1: yeah,
0: I feel like you answered a bunch of questions in that one answer. Yeah. So that was no, it's great. It's great. Are
1: we are we done? Is yeah. that almost? I, <laughs> I'm, I'm totally kidding.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do want to ask because this Ferris was one of the first companies I walked into, and still one of the only. If not the only, where I walked in, and there's John, the owner, who's a baby boomer, older, nearing retirement-ish, yeah, low sixties, yeah, yeah. Yep. Then a leadership team of young dudes, <laughs> like just young people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was all dudes. Not saying that.
1: No, we, and we can get in. We can talk about that. But- that. That's that's something that we talk about internally all the time is you know right now what our leadership team looks like and what what it looks like two years from now so five years let's talk
0: about that a little bit but but i do want to talk about the transition because that's what i sure millennials get a bad rap you know we get poo-pooed on a lot about Mm. um being bad at work (laughs) (laughs) but you guys are leading a transformation of a company that's 90 plus years old um and i mean how do you make sure you balance the the older generation john and then he plays a huge part in that and being Mm open-minded which a lot of no offense baby boomers are not right at least when it comes to working with a younger professional group right so can you talk a little bit about how that balances and then yeah what the future of the leadership team here looks
1: like yeah so john um who also happens to be my father um he, I I think there's a, a it's it's almost the perfect uh, combination of events or the perfect scenario because you're right he's he's 62 years old, very open minded and I think to be a business owner, um, basically having built this company um, over the past 30 years. Uh, and it's not a small company by any means. No, I mean when he when he bought the company, he bought into it, and he was the sixth uh, full time employee. And today we have over 170 employees. Um, so seeing this company grow and seeing what it's gone through over 30 years, and still having the the mindfulness of being open to new ideas and empowering and entrusting. Uh, us, and also uh, the rest of our staff to to do their jobs and to grow within their positions to make mistakes um, and and to learn from them. That right there is is a huge reason of why we are in the position we're in today. Um, he He put this leadership team in place, which, like you mentioned, happens to be, uh, a bunch of dudes. Um, <laughs> and and that isn't uh, that's not on purpose. That was just the the team that he had to work with at the time. and it it was definitely a, a transitionary move to give him uh, a small number of direct reports uh, to um, and, and basically a group of hungry, individuals who uh could also make things happen and could lead the teams and to grow a company effectively so um yeah that's it's it's been pretty interesting uh we we have let's see there five of us and you know it one thing is like where if if you come into the company with if you come into the company today you look at and you say okay the leadership team is is all men and yes you're right but if you have perspective on where the company has come from um and and where it's going i see a lot of women i think the majority of uh our staff is women now and um you know seeing uh women leadership on the rise within our company is really exciting uh and and we're really excited for where this is going in the next in the next couple of years Mm -hmm.
2: I think that um, both groups uh, learn a lot from each other. I think John has a great uh, gift for identifying talent and passion. And so, you -hmm. know, on his end, it's just, okay, this is somebody who's really passionate about whatever it is. You know, whatever I, I, this is a need that we have at this company. Here's this person that's passionate about this need that we have. Let's put them in this position to make some decisions and then kind of get out of the way. There is some give and take there. You know, we learn a lot from um, him with all his experience, um, you know, frugality, somebody being very practical, um, a very practical thinker. And then, you know, we are constantly kind of pushing new ideas, you know, oh, let's try this, let's try this. And, you know, we are very passionate and we can get caught up in it sometimes. And so I think there's this great give and take within the group. one thing that we are never shy about is getting into an argument or a debate (laughs) that can turn into an argument and then afterwards saying hey that's awesome that we can be open with each other and talk about this stuff um so yeah that group is it's a yeah it's a kind of a weird mix of generations but it works out really well because i think we're we just constantly
0: challenge each other so we are running running a little long for Business Journal podcast. <laughs> That's all right, but I do have one more question. We have a great beverage city here. You know, I don't. I like to shy away from calling us a great beer city. I do love the beer we have here, but there's plenty that are better. Um, but I think together, coffee, beer, and spirits might be one of the best in the country. Um, but I don't. I want to highlight a partnership with that you guys have with Founders um, because it it's a beloved company in the city. And you guys are able to make a, a good part of it, I would think. But do you guys want to talk about that partnership a little bit?
1: <laughs> oh sure. Yeah we, uh, we've worked with Founders Brewing Company for for many many years, uh, back to when they were on on Monroe, um, you know Canal Street Brewing Company brewing breakfast style. They'd pick it up, pick up small amount of coffee at our docks at, at our uh, customer pickup area, and um, you know obviously they've grown tremendously and experienced uh, a ton of success with, with their brand. And, um, you know, they're just exploding. Um, and that, that company, their story, uh, has had a tremendous impact on our business. Um, you know, we were talking about catalysts for change earlier and we always cite founders brewing company as one of the main catalysts for the change that has, uh, that we've, we've, Gone through here, um, so just to, if if you don't mind, I'll touch on the story a little bit. Um, not not so long-winded as uh, Myrtos' answer, but oh, don't worry, uh, I'll add some stuff. On uh, it. <laughs> um, you know, so yeah, I mean, as founders grew, um, I think we reached a point where Ferris, as a company, failed to grow with founders and failed to meet the the needs. Uh, and the expertise that they require. Um, so maybe that was through just product quality at the time. Maybe it was through um, uh, kind of the expertise that is needed to deal with, with our types of products. And, and maybe it was just not putting uh, the customer first. And um, so what they ended up doing was switching coffee roasters. And that was, that was pretty devastating to us. I mean, uh, a, couple young guys, you know, growing up, coming into the coming into the workforce, you know, you get out of work, you go grab a pint at Founders, you know, it was something that we really enjoyed and there was a certain level of pride uh, involved with with working with a company like that. You know, our product is essentially an ingredient in their product and that that's pretty cool. Um, so when we when we were no longer doing that that type of business with them anymore, um, it really made us look back on ourselves and look in, inwardly and say, "What? What are we? Why are we doing what we're doing? What, what are we doing wrong here? What? Uh, why? Why? Why coffee? You know." So uh, that really started the started a, a series of questions um, started getting us to answer a series of questions that allowed us to get to where we are today and long story short several years later we we uh are back to roasting coffee for founders brewing company and it's just it's a it's a great partnership that we really hold high and we we value um it's a privilege for us to be part of somebody else's product like that
2: yeah I think they are their decision to say hey we're going to be a product driven company and start brewing beers the you know that we like um kind of open the door for all this you know all the other great craft beer and um great coffee roasters that there are in the city today so um they they kind of paved the way for everybody else to say okay yes let's uh let's do what we want to do and um, you know, make this city, like you said, you know, a great, great beverage, you know, craft, craft beverage city. So yeah, it's a great, it's, it's, it's not for us to work with a company like that.
1: Yeah. I think from also a, a business philosophy standpoint, I mean, through that whole experience, we, we just learned so much from them. So, um, it's important not to burn any bridges. I've learned that from Dave Ingers, Um, and, and, you know, just constantly pushing, uh, Pushing for for what you believe in and holding your quality standards very high, not compromising. Um, those are those are some things that we've really gleaned from them over the years. So,
0: well, awesome! Thank you so much for joining us, and uh, it's always a good conversation.
1: Yeah, thanks, Pat. We should definitely do this again sometime. So, thanks a lot, guys.
0: The GRBJ podcast is brought to you by Spectrum Health Integrated Care Campus at 426 Michigan Street. Taking care of your family is now easier than ever with multiple services all in one convenient location. And Seven Monks Grand Rapids, worldwide craft beer, locally crafted cuisine, located at the new 616 Lofts building at 740 Michigan Street. So as you can tell, Sam and Mark are very passionate about coffee. Indeed. Is there something you want to talk about that shows passion elsewhere? Well,
2: let's let's talk about uh this week's print, and it does show passion elsewhere,
0: and it is a liquid, and I do believe you wrote the story, but somebody's going on a trip. Yes, John O'Connor and Kyle Van Streen, former podcast guests mm-hmm. uh, from Long Road Distillers, are headed to uh, to Denmark this this week. They are. For it, their Aquavit. Yes, which is basically, as I understand it, going into the home field and trying to steal one here. It is. It's a Scandinavian spirit, and they've been winning awards left and right, and now they're going to to the homeland, <laughs> I guess. That, that's the way you put it, and they're hopefully going to win. That's what they said. Okay. So we'll see. Um, But then elsewhere in the, the, the print edition that I also wrote, coincidentally enough, on the front page is Downtown Grand Rapids uh, is kind of hitting pause, at least one developer on residential, but downtown, another downtown in the area has one coming. So, good. Good stuff this week. Yep. This week's podcast is brought to you by Spectrum Health Integrated Care Campus at 426 Michigan Street and Seven Monks Grand Rapids. Until next week, stay informed with us, visit grbj.com, and pick up Monday's print edition.